Hello, and welcome to the Journey Church podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're really glad that you decided to join us today. Whether you're a member, attend regularly, or this is your first time with us, we want to let you know we appreciate you. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome back to the journey. Happy May for those of you who are unbelieving that it is still May, it is, or that it is already May. It actually is May uh, as quickly as it came. My name is Bobby. If we haven't had the chance to meet, uh, I have the privilege of hanging out with you guys for a few months here at Journey Queens, uh, and I'm so excited to be here. Today, we are launching a brand new series called The Beginning a study through the book of Acts, taking a look at the early church, the very first Christian church that we have. Uh, and we're going to be taking a look at that. And, and I love that coming off of the Easter season, uh, this book and the beginning of the church is kind of a seamless transition. It's a, a seamless transition from where we've been the last few weeks, talking about the resurrection of Jesus, talking about his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In fact, the book Acts is actually written by uh, Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and, and very early on in the book, in fact, the very first verse of the book Acts, he intends to remind us that the work that was done when Jesus was on earth wasn't just confined to that time period. Because now that Jesus is alive, he continues his work. Check out the first verse. It says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, everything Jesus began to do and teach, everything he began to do. I often think of Jesus' time on earth as the ministry Jesus did. But the truth is, if we believe he's alive, then he is still continuing to work today. And so I'm excited to jump into this study a little about the, the book of Acts. Like I mentioned, the book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke. He was a doctor, so he was known for his somewhat meticulous detailing and, and being ordered. Uh, if you read the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, when he writes that account, he even mentions that I'm writing this account, my account, my witness, my experience of the life of Jesus, because I want an orderly account of it. Right, You can kind of see his brain working there. And so coming right off of the resurrection, we go into the book of Acts as somewhat of a seamless transition. And the book of Acts, what we're going to study over the next few weeks, is, is the beginning of the Christian church and, and the acts of the apostles, those who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, and now have been given this task of carrying on faith in everything Jesus started, not just to them, but to the rest of the world as well. And I think what's really interesting about the beginning of this book, as we dive in, is that Luke continues his story but makes a specific point to mention that the disciples and Jesus, even after everything they went through, kind of still weren't on the same page, right? When, when Jesus walked on earth, the disciples had this idea that Jesus was going to restore the nation of Israel to a world superpower, politically and, and socially, that they were going to be the, the dominant of the entire world, when really Jesus was talking about a kingdom that you experienced in your heart, and a kingdom that came from God. And, and it made me start thinking 
uh, as we, we'll jump into this and take a look at how the disciples were still not on the same page, even after Jesus was resurrected. But it got me start to, to start thinking about, have you ever had a time where you were not on the same page as someone else? You kind of know, I, I hear some chuckling, right? Because when that moment comes to mind, you're like, yeah, you have that moment, right? Where you're like, oh, I know what they're thinking. I know what we're doing here. And then there's that that clicking point where you're like, oh, I we no, we weren't thinking the same thing. I am on a different brave wavelength, right? And and it made me start thinking about a time with my wife when we were not on the same page, right? My wife is a lover of dogs. She has that is like her greatest passion in life. I would say she wanted to find the perfect dog more than she wanted to find me as her husband, right? She just loved dogs. And so early on, uh, we were actually engaged at the time. We started having conversations about adopting a dog, right? And and talking about how, how much she wanted one, and I had had one before and loved him, and we wanted to get a dog. But we started really looking at the reality of the situation, and, and we didn't live it with each other at the time, and so her having to come to my place to walk the dog when I was at work and coordinating schedules, we were like, this just is not the time. And I made a joke, and I was like, oh, maybe I'll just show up with a dog one day, and she was like, don't. That is not a good idea for me. We need to be on the same page before we go do something like that. And so we go visit my cousin who actually fosters dogs upstate New York. She gets them from a rescue agency until they're adopted. And so we go and we meet this sweet dog named Sadie. And she, my wife, falls in love with this dog, is, is taking pictures and sending me pictures during that following week. Like, oh, she was such a sweet dog. And so I'm like, all right, I'm picking up what you're laying down here, right? I know you told me not to do that, but I'm, I'm seeing that you like this dog. So I think this is a great opportunity to adopt a dog for us, right? And surprise her at Christmas in front of my whole family. Well, <laughs> talking about not being on the same page, you can kind of see where this is going. And so we go ahead and, and I, I put the adoption paper in and I, I adopt this dog. It's, it's rightfully ours. And I wait until we're in Florida with my family and I make this sweet little gift to tell her, hey, I adopted this dog. And I have two pictures for you. The first one you can see here is the moment I told her, I adopted this dog and the shock and the surprise. And then there's the moment where you realize you're not on the same page. And that is this right here. I feel like the narrator should come over at this point at my face and be like, this is the moment Bobby realized he screwed up. <laughs> Just realizing we were not on the same page. And uh, it ended up walk working out. We did adopt her. She is the best dog in the world. We both love her. And my wife has forgiven me for it <laughs> ever since. But being not on the same page causes some complications. And as we jump in here to the book of Acts, we're going to read the first part of the first chapter and keep an eye on how the disciples' mindset is through this. Luke says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything G Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked with it to them about the kingdom of God. 
And once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9. After saying, the, after saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And so the story at this point, we see Jesus he comes back to life from being crucified on, on that Easter weekend, right? He's resurrected from the dead, and he spends 40 days appearing to the disciples and talking with them and eating with them, reminding them of everything that he had told them. And then he, he departs physically to heaven, right? But we see his work continues. But check out how the disciples were not necessarily still on the same page as the disciples, right? In, ver in verse 7, uh, in verse 6, the apostles ask Jesus, Lord, is this the time? Look at even how they're referring to it. Is this, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom, right? They still have a mindset that God is going to do this incredible earthly kingdom political work. And it, it makes sense. The prophets before them, not knowing how to describe this kingdom of God, in a sense, was described a kingdom that would come. And often it was in conjunction with mention of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus mentions that, the disciples go automatically to, okay, when is Israel coming back to power? But really what Jesus was trying to tell them was that this kingdom coming was not one that would isolate people, right? When are you going to restore our kingdom, not their kingdom? our kingdom, but one that was going to include people, include the entire world. The disciples just were not on the same page. See, the disciples expected God to radically change their circumstances, but instead, God sent Jesus to radically change them. And I think we do the same thing. I think sometimes we expect God to radically change our circumstances, but instead, he sent Jesus to radically change us, right? I think sometimes we get so focused on our careers, God fixing our family, bring me a great job, may, give me a, a, a stable financial home, put my preferred president in office, right? We have all of these thoughts of things that we want God to do, but really what God promises is that he'll be with us, that he will grow us that he will develop us as believers, as humans, to be able to handle whatever it is that life throws at us, right? Even Jesus says in, in verse 7 of that passage we read that it's the Father has, is the only one with the authority to determine the times and the places set. It doesn't mean that our circumstances won't change, 
But the things that are out of our control are in God's hand. And sometimes we focus too much on that and not enough on what Jesus really has come to do, which is to radically change who we are. And I'll give you an example here. I have a glove. I'm going to try and do this with a microphone. We'll, we'll see how this goes. But this, this glove is going to represent our lives, right? This is us here. Some of you guys like to, like to party, so we got a little lights here, right? This is us. We're living our life, right? Hashtag selfie. And we get focused on our life. Our life is going great. So we get fixated on things like our image, our career, our job. We're praying, God, help me with this. Help me with this. Change this. Do this. Fix our families. Fix my marriage. Be in all of this. And listen, let me say this. These are not bad things. But what ends up happening is that we find out we're not on the same page because one day our physical life dies, right? But our physical life dies. And all of these things that we were worried about, focused on, asking God to change so desperately, all of a sudden don't matter anymore. But do you know what does? You. See, this is the you that continues into eternity. This is the you that your heart, your soul, your life, these are the things that will continue into eternity, and these are the things that God is working to grow in you, to grow your faith, to test your faith, to make you mature believers. Because when we pass this simple 80-something years on this earth, hopefully longer, but when we pass through that, we go into an eternity that lasts forever. And we don't magically just turn into different people, right? Who we are goes on past our physical bodies. And so what we have to see is that what Jesus came to do was to resurrect our life, to resurrect our heart, to be in our feelings. And again, it doesn't mean that he's not focused on the things in our life. He's not focused on the, the actions and, and the things that we're doing, but he does want us to focus on that internal work. And I think similar to the disciples, one day we will get to a point where we are looking at Jesus face to face and, and our minds are opened up. And we're going to think, wow, I didn't realize that's what Jesus meant. I didn't realize that's what he was doing when I went through that really difficult situation. I, I didn't realize that that loss I experienced was actually God coordinating some things to keep me from that later down the road. I, I just had no idea because sometimes we are not on the same page. So back to our passage in Acts, the disciples ask Jesus, is this going to be the time where you restore our kingdom? Finally, are you going to do this? And Jesus says, no, God is the only one who has the authority to set those times and dates. But he does say what the disciples will do. And he says, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. He says, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Jesus' plan for his disciples who had spent the last three years with him walking and talking and experiencing life with Jesus were now commissioned with the task to tell anybody they could about what they experienced. And unless we are all of a sudden given permission by God to be super selfish with what we experience and not tell anybody about it, then that means we are called to be witnesses as well, right? That God has called us to also be witnesses. But here's the thing. We have to be witnesses to something. 
And so if none of us have actually lived the time of Jesus and experienced Jesus himself, what are we witnessing about? You see, you can't be a witness to something you didn't experience. Otherwise, you're just a storyteller. You have to be, you have to have seen it, you have to have experienced it in order to be a witness. Well, let me give you an example. How many of you guys have, eat, have ate at Yoshinoya? Yoshinoya, show of hands, anybody? Yoshinoya? Okay, a few people, but I'm surprised there's not more. It is the number one chain restaurant in Japan, right? So probably most of us, you may not even have heard of it, and you're like, Yoshinoya? Now, if I asked you, to go home today, and I said, your homework tonight, when you go home, is to convince a couple people that Yoshinoya is the best restaurant to go to for your Sunday brunching experience. That is your goal, is to convince people to go to Yoshinoya. Well, how are you going to feel? You're going to, all right, I guess I could tell it. It's, it's one of the top chains in Japan, so I got some behind that, right? But you're, you're, it's going to be lackluster. You're, you're just going to be telling about what you know, not necessarily what you experienced. Now compare that to your favorite restaurant. And you know what that is. It comes to mind right now. You already have reservations at 1230. You're going to get there for lunch, right? Chick-fil-A is mine. I, am, I can't go on Sunday, but Chick-fil-A is my favorite restaurant. If you wanted to know about Chick-fil-A, I could sit here and tell you for 15 minutes all of the good things about Chick-fil-A and why you should eat there, and I'll probably convince you because that is personal for me. I, I worked there. I love Chick-fil-A. Do you see the difference between witnessing to something that's personal to you and just telling a story about something you've heard about? And so Jesus, God calls us to be witnesses and not just storytellers, right? He calls us to be witnesses to what we have experienced, because I think our witness is birthed out of your personal experience with God. Your witness as God calls us to be, is birthed out of your personal encounter with God. And if you haven't personally encountered Jesus, then you're just telling Bible stories. And listen, there's nothing wrong about that. I, I think Jesus is worthy enough to have people tell stories about him that don't even have a relationship with him, that haven't personally experienced about him. I think he's that great that storytelling is great, but when we are called to be witnesses of what God has done in our lives, we are being called to witness about our lives, our stories, our struggles, our heart, the things that God is changing in our lives. You see, when we take a look at all that God has called us to do in loving others, loving him. You know, we go to church, we, we serve at a community outreach event, we help those who are less fortunate. If you're a parent, you raise your kids in the ways of God, or you, you go to work and maybe you're, you're trying to live a life that shines Jesus. But out of all these things, it's storytelling if it's not coming out of the personal experience of what God has done in your life. I think that should bring a little freedom for us. I think it should let us sit back and breathe as Christians and kind of let that weight fall off for a second. It's like, all right, I don't, I don't have such a big task as a Christian. My big task as a Christian is to get to know God, is to know him more personally, to let him change my life. And then when I have opportunities to share that with people, to share about that, to share about the, the change that I've seen in, in my kids Right? Or, or the growth that I've seen in my marriage. 
or this insane opportunity that God brought about in such a way when I was struggling and unknowing of what was going to happen. And man, he came through in such a powerful way. There's a witness behind that. And what did Luke say when he talked about the disciples being a witness? He says, you will have power come on you when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There is power in the story of our testimony, and so it should give us some freedom to say, hey, you know what I have to focus on as a Christian is loving God. Let me get to know Jesus more. Let me get closer to Jesus, because by doing that, I change. My heart changes. My life changes, and then I can, I can be a, a witness to the things that God is doing in my life. I can be a witness to that power that has come on me through the Holy Spirit. And I know this, this can kind of be challenging at times, right? It, because I, it's easy for me to come up here on a Sunday morning and tell you guys, don't worry about the things you're going through, right? Just God is growing you. It's, it's going to work out. It's gonna, but I'm not in your shoes. I'm not experiencing the stress that you're experiencing, the pain that you're experiencing. But I, I have a fill-in-the-blank formula that has kind of helped me through my whole life, really reframe the things that I'm going through. And it's, it's not a blank thing, it's a God thing. And fill in the blank for you. Now, it doesn't mean the thing that fills in the blank doesn't matter. But it helps reframe your mind to think through what am I experiencing and what does God have for me in this, right? Maybe it's, you know, me and my, my spouse are really wrestling with this thing. We, we keep fighting about it and arguing about it. We can't seem to communicate on it. Everything seems to be really tense in this. It's, it's the biggest focus in our marriage. I just don't understand it. Well, it's, it's not a marriage thing. It's a God thing. What is God showing you through that? What is God wanting to do in you, and how does he want to change you through that? Because that focus is going to help bring about the purpose that God has for your life. Because remember, he wants us to be witnesses, but not just that he's good in theory, but that we have experienced it in practical. And so he wants us to take those things that fill in the blank to him open-handedly and say, Jesus, I don't know what to do about this. I, I am not sure what you want me to do about this fill in the blank. Here it is. And he says, perfect. That's what I want. That's how I'm going to work through it. And then he does, and he begins to rearrange and change your life. See, last week we talked about doubt. If you were here last week, and we talked about how we can't just put our doubts in a corner and ignore them, but that we have to actually wrestle with them. And then when we do wrestle with them, to expect us to get dirty, right? Expect it to get messy. Expect it to get hard and tough, and we're unsure, and, and we're wrestling with that. But in that process, we push into Jesus, Right? We come closer to him, we push into him, and we begin to see him change our life and change our perspective, change our heart. And then we can turn around and say, you know what? I thought it was a, a marriage thing, this thing me and my spouse were going through, but really, wow, God was doing something so much greater in me the whole time. I, I thought... It was about my kids getting in trouble in school a lot and really just giving us a hard time and being an incredible challenge. I have no idea what to do with it. What I realized is that, man, God was really just trying to get me to press into him and trust him more. He was increasing my faith. He was showing me that I love my kids a lot, but maybe I worry that I don't trust God with my kids. And I, I had to learn that God loves my kids more than me somehow, and I can actually trust him with them. 
right? You go through that process and you come out on the other side with a new perspective, a new change. And then you can witness. That's witnessing. Witnessing is, oh, let me tell you about what God did in my life. Let me tell you about that time where I thought there was no opening to that closed door and God blew the door off the hinges. He, he made a way I didn't even expect. And here's how I changed from it. Here's, here's what he did in me personally. That witness begins to come, excuse me, come through in a powerful way. And Paul encourages us in the book of Colossians. He encourages us to, to, to stay focused on this as well. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, Since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, because remember, Jesus was raised from the dead, but that gives us hope for life here on earth as well. So since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. See, Paul is encouraging us here to say, think outside the box. Everything you're going through in this life in a whisper, a blink of an eye. It's like a wave in an ocean. It comes and it goes compared to eternity that we get to live in Jesus. And so often we think that, that, oh, that's eternity. When it comes, it'll come. But no, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here. It is, it is on earth. It is within you. It is that moment where you're wrestling with something and have to take it to God and you watch him change your heart and change your soul and change your life. Because when the time comes and, and we pass from this life and our body is, is laid to rest, we don't die in Christ. We live. But we don't just become magical different creatures with no knowledge of what we went through. We take with us our struggle, our pain, our, our joy, our growth. That's why Jesus encourages us so much. And Paul here, keep your eyes on the things of heaven. It doesn't mean the things of earth don't matter, but keep your eyes on the reason behind it. Keep your eyes on, on the sustainable, heavenly things that continue beyond this earth. And that's my encouragement for you today. My encouragement is to take a look at your life. Take a look at the areas of your life that are causing tension. They're those rebellious parts of your life. And ask, what does God want me to see through this? What is God's plan for this? Not just how is this going to turn out, but how am I going to turn out through it? Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we worship you. We thank you because as we sit and reflect on the fact that sometimes we on earth have such an earthly mindset, you have so much grace and understanding for that. You came, you lived a life on earth. You know what it is to be distracted by the things of this world. But you've also given us a way to circumvent that, to grow through that. God, I believe you want to use the trials and the challenges and the hardships that we all in this room are going through right at this very moment to grow us in faith of you, in faith of our brothers and sisters, in faith of this kingdom of God to make our experience of you realer than it has been ever. And we ask that you would do that. We ask that you would give us hearts and minds to change our, our, our focus from the things of this earth to the heavenly things that matter. 
that matter more? Would you give us strength as we press through? Would you give us grace as we fail, as we don't do it perfectly, as we, we get angry and we get sad and we get bitter and we, we do things we regret and we say things we regret? Would you remind us how much grace there really is in you that you just understand? But would you allow that growth to continue beyond the things that we can see? We pray all of this in the precious, precious name of Jesus. Amen.